Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Elm Park Rolls podcast. My name is Paul Mann and I am the founder of the website and I will be hosting the show today. It's been a kind of successful last 24 hours. We've got a point at QPR. I think there's a lot, quite a few positives to take out of the match. First of all, we didn't concede. And secondly, the away fans left with a little bit of hope. To help me discuss this, I've been joined by Jacob Southcline. Hi, Jacob. Hello. Merry, merry sort of post-Christmas, I suppose. Um, I'm on the podcast this week with a bit more timber. Um, from Christmas and Boxing Day, the double hit of Christmas and Boxing Day. But um, thank you for having me on, Paul. That's a pleasure. I think we've all gained a little bit of winter weight, as we'd call it. Yeah, right. Just, yeah. We've, we've all kind of uh, that belt needs to be loosened another notch, doesn't it? <laughs> cool. So um, we've also been joined by Neil Reese. How are you, Mr. Bobbins? Um, just as portly as the rest of us. So, wow, well, that's good to hear. That's <laughs> good to hear. <laughs> Good fair. So I think there's positives to be taken out of yesterday. I mean, how many Redden fans are there? 1,600 or so? About mm-hmm. 1,600 in the end, which is a good yeah. thing in a way. Yeah, so that is good, actually. I mean, it's a great following, really. I know it's only just down the road, but we've been atrocious this season. And going to QPR is, I mean, I'm not a fan of that ground at all. If you've got legs that are longer than an inch, you're going to be struggling, aren't you, in their seats? But we seem to play quite well in the first half. We had 80% possession almost. I mean, that's just crazy numbers. You watched it, Neil. What did you make of it? Um, yeah, it was it was such a, a strange experience watching us in the first half. Like, we're pretty much controlling every aspect. You kind of thought that QPR were, were going to like turn up at some point. Um, and But they just just sat back and it wasn't like they were they were camped in their own half just waiting to counter they didn't know what to do against us and it was a really really strange experience to to see us um play with this this freedom and people knowing what their their jobs were and you know that the movement between the lines was really kind of decent and after you know only a few training sessions under gomesh it, it, it seems as if they had, you know, quite a good understanding of what was required. Yeah. Um, I was expecting a second half backlash from QPR and McLaren will give them a ticking off. Uh, and, and that didn't seem to, to happen too much either. Um, obviously, they did come to the game out a bit, but not as much as I was expecting. And, and obviously, the capitulation that we usually see didn't happen either. Um, so yeah, it was ju- just a complete bolt out of the blue. We all thought we were going to get absolutely battered. Just keep your on good form, um, and, it, and it, it it didn't look as if we were the team in the bottom three. No, no, totally not. I mean, Steve McLaren said after the match, Reading dominated possession in the first half. We couldn't get near the ball. I was delighted to go in nil uh, nil at half time. Those are words that you enjoy listening to as a Redden fan because, oh God, how long is it since we've had that kind of comment from an opposition manager? It's been a long time. I mean, have you seen the highlights, Jacob? What do you think of our performance there? I guess I echo the, um, the thoughts of Neil. Um, to, for Gomez to have got across his ideas to the players in such a short space of time and for them to be on display is quite amazing, really. Um I know we had a lot of possession, but it's also the nature of that possession. Whereas under previous regimes, we've been used to having a lot of possession in our own half. Mm. 
amongst the defence. In the highlights I've seen, we look comfortable with the ball in QPR's half of the pitch as well. So it's a yeah. more attacking sort of variety of possession, which I think is a good and exciting thing, potentially. Um, I also liked how after the game, um, our new manager said, whilst he was pleased with the performance, he wasn't pleased with the result. Yeah. Whereas before we might have been quite content to openly grind out a point away from home, you can see that there's almost a higher ceiling with what he's trying to achieve. Um, I don't know, I thought it was very positive. We matched QPR certainly on paper, statistics-wise, and even though the goals still don't seem to be free-flowing at the moment, um, the fact that we've got a very rare clean sheet from a place that's quite difficult to go at the moment, QPR have won their last three, I think, until yes. played us. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, I think it was a day of positivity, really, to cap off what has been a completely dour year. No, it's been, well, it's been an abysmal year, and it's great to have that little glimmer of light going into 2019. What you're saying, having the ball in the dangerous areas, apart, which is kind of, it's very early, obviously, which makes him slight, which I think makes him slightly different from Yapstam. We had 143 passes in the opposition third. Now, that's where you want the ball to be. We had 519 passes in total. And on average, before this game, we were at 290. It's a huge difference since start of play. But if you're pushing it up, and as he was saying, I heard John Swift after the match saying the game plan is to move the ball forward quickly and get it into their opposition third. With Yap, it was pass, 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 patience in our own third. And that bored a lot of Redden fans to death. And I can see how that could happen. Just possession football doesn't have to be the same. It can be very different styles, even within that mode of football. And I think once we get a win, and hopefully we'll come on to that later, hopefully get that against Swansea, that will really infuse the crowd. That yeah, it's not, it's not just possession football, it's with an intent, which would be the big difference. But, I mean, it's really good to see some players keeping some form. Like Jacola had another good game. You've got other players coming in. I mean, the big player in the last few months has been Rinomoto. I mean, he has been an absolute... He's been a find, hasn't he, really? Uh, I mean, we're going to come on to it again later about the best players of 2018, but he's got to be in there, even though he's only played about eight or ten games. Uh, so I think it's positive. Do you both agree we're going into it kind of 2019 with a little glimmer, possibly? Yeah, I, th I think that um, if you take that game in isolation, it was probably one of the better away performances we've had in, in 12 months, even though we, we didn't actually win. Um, and if this is just the start of something, then you can only think it's going to be positive. I mean, we're not going to think we're going to remain unbeaten for the rest of the season, of course, but it, it, it showed a, a little bit more than, than a glimmer, I thought. Because I thought the players really bought into what was actually being asked of them. It didn't look as if like, oh, we seem to like this a little bit better than what we did before. It was almost the entire, you know, step change from what what kind of performances we had in the past. Um, everyone seemed to be lifted by it, uh, and they didn't seem to be doing anything that was alien to them. Even the Luca, who hasn't played, you know, ninety minutes for us for God knows how long, he looked very happy where he was. So did Swift. Um, yeah, and McLaren. coming back in after you know, not playing that much recently at all through injury McCleary being captain so many changes that ha had happened 
and everyone seems to be on the same page so quickly. So I think there's, there's loads to be positive about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sorry, go on, Jacob. Yeah, I I completely agree with Neil there. I, I think we've got to be careful to a point. It's sad that we do, really, because we've become so accustomed to false dawns. But for me, it did feel like a bit of a turning point, judging by the reaction online, in that you have 1,600 away fans that go there and come away positive. That's got to translate to something positive at home when we play Swansea on New Year's Day. It's the fact that, given the number of Reading fans in attendance, that's going to rub off, I think, on the whole fan base. And to me, the fact that a new man has come in with fresh ideas and so far, Touchwood, they're being translated across quite clearly into results, or not so much results, but performances on the pitch. Um, I think it's exactly what we needed. We needed a breath of fresh air. And it's just whether we can translate that now into results in 2019. I think if we approach 2019 as a clean slate and just focus on getting to safety, no matter how it comes, uh, along with a half clear out in January, we'll see what happens there in the transfer window. I think there is room for optimism. Um, I was really glad to see McCleary actually get the armband yesterday. Um, Online, he was saying how much it meant to him to have... Uh, finally captain the team after six and a half years at the club. Uh, I think the fans also appreciated that too. It's, it's slowly getting the fans and the players back on side after what has been a tumultuous year, I think, but plenty to look forward to. Yeah, totally and totally. And I think someone who is epitomising really the forefront of that is our new manager. Yeah. He just kind of, when you see him, he's infectious, I think. I mean, I could see why the players are infused by him because he comes across so well. I mean, I, I we don't know how he's going to work out as a manager. We, he's two games. There's, there's nothing to judge uh, someone on. He needs far more time than that. But when you listen to him afterwards, when he talks about beautiful football and uh, the passion that the players show and uh, they have hot blood in their veins, he's a, these are the kind of things. These are, yeah, yeah, yeah. These, these are the things that I like and... We need something to hold on to. And I want to go into 2019 with some kind of positivity. It's one game and you could say, oh, yeah, it's, it's not enough. But no, I'm going to take positivity because we've had 2018 is done almost now. As a player since we're finished and Jacob's completely right. We need to try and move into 2019 with a clean slate, slate, start again. And this is how we can change things and we can go on to the transfers later, possibly. But... He, I think he's very impressive. And how I say his first name, I'm not quite sure. Is it Jose, Jose, Jose? I mean, Jose, I think. Maybe there needs to be a poll. We need someone to ask him how to pronounce his first name. But are you being impressed by him as, as in a person, uh, Neil? Uh, yeah, certainly. But by the looks of, uh, of how he comes across in his, his post-match stuff, uh, it, it's almost as if we don't get enough time to really see what he's about yet. Uh, and I know that all the interviews are generally the same kind of length, but, um, but yeah, he, he, he speaks with it, you know, a really honest clarity, doesn't he? That um, he, he tells you if he's, he's mildly disappointed with something, but he'll praise the players if he, if he sees something that he likes. And I think that's a little microcosm of probably what he's like in the dressing room. He'll certainly tell them if they're doing something bad, but there's, there's lots that, that he's seeing in there at the moment that he can praise given that what you know what his message is is so different from from what our previous managers have tried to deliver and either all of that was getting lost and muddled 
uh, or this guy is just a, such a brush of fresh, um, brush of fresh air that he, he he's given something that the players really actually understand. Um, who knows what the difference is, but he, he does seem to be, you know, really giving that clean slate. Uh, to the players and saying, forget what happened in the previous games. I don't really care what the previous managers did. This is how we do it. This is how I think you can do it, and I'm sure you can. And he just gives them that belief, I think, and that's what's been missing. Yeah, yeah, I, that's, I, agree, I agree. And he, I think he'd be a lovely man to go out with him on a meal. I think he'd be able to pick a good wine. You'd have a nice restaurant, and... I think you'd have a very nice evening out. What do you think, uh, Jacob? Do you think you'd have a good night out with our new manager? I'm thinking Nando's, but you're thinking a bit higher brow then. Yeah, yeah a little bit higher than Nando's, I think. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Maybe uh, Carluccio's near, uh, yeah. <laughs> near uh, Forbury Gardens, yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you're not in charge of the um, manager recruitment policy, Paul. Otherwise, it would we'd be recruiting managers based on how much we'd like to go to a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Uh, well, it'd be how much they want to pay for me on a meal. <laughs> uh, I think probably unfairly. I was concerned when Gomash came in because um, we he clearly wasn't first choice for the job given how long we were without a manager and how vocal in the, the, the stories in the press were about us wanting, I forget his name now. Castro. Um, Castro, yes, Luis Castro. Um, and... I think the criticism with Castro was that his English skills were not very good, whereas it's the polar opposite with Gomesh, because on paper, fine, his record isn't as impressive, but as a communicator and as a vibrant personality, he's the polar opposite to his um, Portuguese other in Castro. So in a way, even though we've ended up with someone that wasn't first choice, I think he's he's more the classic Reading mould in having someone that can elevate the players in, in terms of an inspiration to them. I think Stan was that to some degree. And I don't think um, Paul Clement was that ever. In that yeah. very frank and, you know, he, we appreciated his hon- honesty in the press. But if I was a player under Paul Clement, I wouldn't necessarily th- want to run through a brick wall for him. Um, so I don't know. I'm, quite, I'm quietly confident with the manager we've now got and I'm in a position to start looking forward rather than back at who we could have got. Um, and I think that initial early signs of that, he is also a man that the fans want to get behind too. Um, I think the club did a very good thing in doing that five-minute little micro-documentary when he joined, because that really gave the fans a flavour of what he was about quite early on. Otherwise, he would have been a bit more of an unknown quantity. Um, I was frustrated after Millwall because... He clearly wanted to use Millwall as a marker as the way he wanted to play. And obviously he wasn't able to do that, having gone down to 10 men after 10 minutes. So I'm really glad that after QPR, we can finally see a bit more about the way he wants to play. And I was quite glad to see that. Yeah, no, it's. I think he's very... Uh, it's just upbeat. Just have any kind of energy at the club and somebody... You know, I, I watched the video of him last night and I thought, I'm looking forward to the Swansea match now. Yeah. Not just the nil-nil, but his whole yeah. demeanour, it just it pulls me in. I find this kind of... It's nice to have someone who's got that because with Yap, I thought, yeah, very impressive player with all those things. We all know about that. But he always had that arrogance about him. Uh, with Paul Clement, he was very honest, but quite dour, I thought. 
And um, with this work, I, I find him, yeah, like I said, I'd like to go out with a male friend. LSB would be my preferred location uh, if uh, if he wants to set up. The London Street Brasserie to LSB now. Oh, some of us know how it rolls, Jacob. Some of us know, <laughs> so, you know. So despite all these positivity about 2019, we're going to have to talk about 2018. Oh, so if either of you got any alcohol happen. ready, now is the time to uh, indulge. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you, we're going to go through this. So let's start with favourite moment of 2018. Jacob, what would you say was your best moment then of 2018? I've been secretly dreading this podcast, actually, Paul, because I know we briefly touched upon it um, a few weeks back of like highlights of the year, highlights under Paul Clement. And um, we were really clutching at straws and scraping the bottom of the barrel. I think on reflection, it has to be one of Vito Minone's two penalty saves that probably kept us up last season. I know it's very easy to get into the different permutations of, oh, maybe this point kept us up, maybe this goal kept us up, maybe this save kept us up. But in terms of what it did to lift us um, and to get us over the line finally, I think it was probably Vito Minone's penalty save, um, Queen's Park Rangers at home. Um, earlier on in the year and that's it's quite sad how that is like the crowning moment of the year for me but I really think it is I mean if we're going for matters off the pitch um, it was probably the removal of our former chief executive who will not be named Um, I think that was quite a a pivotal moment for the direction the club is going to go in Um, but it's going to be those two for me Paul and that we haven't really got um, a massive choice of um you know of pickings from what has been dire dire year no i mean i without talking to neil i think probably we'd all agree on those two wouldn't we really i mean would you think anything different than neil because i would definitely say those two ron gorley i've not mentioned his name is the one (laughs) for me the moment he went has changed a lot and now we might be beginning to see the fruits of that but obviously the Vito minoni moment because if we had drawn that game that would have been catastrophic because yeah. I think off the back of getting that win, we went on to beat Preston. We just had a tiny amount of momentum at home because we hadn't won at the home uh, that point for maybe eight or nine months, if I remember correctly. Well, the last one was the season before, wasn't it, against Wigan? Yeah, my brain's got too many of these things in their head. But can you think of any other moments, your favourite moments, Neil, apart from those two? If if I purely go on in gut emotion, then that that is the moment. Yeah. Um, it was a game that we we felt as if we were you know, sort of deserved to win, and conceding the the penalty and in pretty much the last knockings of the game, you kind of thought, oh here we go again. I can believe this. Um, and for it to be saved, you know, you can just feel the relief around the stadium and it was just that that's one singular height of emotion that we all felt um and, and i can't really think of anything else that touches that um i mean we scraped over the over the line as a result of it and we didn't really go on that much of a great run after as you say we we did beat preston but it was pretty much short-lived um uh, but yeah that, that that's that's the big one for me and, and yeah the re- removal of uh voldemort if, uh, if <laughs> definitely voldemort yeah i like that one um now for the one when we have an absolutely huge choice of uh moments we could all choose from 
the lowest point of 2018. Uh, there's some big hitters in there, isn't there? There's some of the lowest points, I would say, in recent history of the last 15 years of Reading, I would say. Uh, I'll start with you, Jacob. Where, where do we go? I mean, <laughs> so many. I think, in a way, my um, selection is made easier by the fact that I think from you seeing a game in person and living it in the moment, you inevitably are going to feel lower than if you have a terrible result away from home that you're, you know, in the comforts of your own home for and sort of reading a live tax ticker. So um, with the games I've got to this season, I pr probably hit rock bottom around the end of last season when the final game at the Mugge of of last season, we needed to get a result against oh. managerless Ipswich Town who had done nothing for a little while before they came to us. They played a second-string team full of kids, and uh, Mick McCarthy had resigned. Um, so they came to us without a manager. And in a game to determine our own fate and to confirm us staying up, we managed to lose, was it 4-0? Just a 4. Yeah. Just a 4, yes. Yeah. More. Um, and it was dire because also um, at the end of the game, of course, there was going to be the lap of appreciation, wasn't there, from the players? And I could you <laughs> not being in that ground um, with all the booing and all the negativity and all the utter embarrassment. Because I was sat in the that stood even in the south stand for that game, and we were tasked with somehow generating a positive atmosphere. And it was absolutely hideous, absolutely hideous. I think the Medeski must have been about 97% empty by the time the players did come out half an hour after the final whistle because um, we didn't know whether they were going to come out and then they did come out, you know, all sullen, you know, with their kids and whatever, like, all, you know, giving us, giving us the limpest, most wet class you've ever seen. Um, it was absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible because not just in terms of what it did mathematically to the league table, but that's when it really sort of hit home to me. My goodness, we have fallen. We have fallen a very long way in just a few seasons, um, and that's probably the, the moment at which, for me, visibly, um, like fan indifference sort of started to take a hold. I think a lot of fans will have seen the performance that day, not gone to Cardiff for the last game, and gone right. That's it. I'm not turning up next season. And I think we're going to feel the effects of that result for a very long time to come, I think. Yeah, that one was absolutely horrific. Um, that was one of, that was without doubt for me, our worst performance and results, atmosphere, impact of our Medeski Stadium era in the championship. Absolutely horrific. Um, not only did we lose 4-0, we managed to give away, I think all the goals came in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Two comedy goals at the end when uh, the goalie and, uh, and Laurie got completely confused, I think. Then they, we, then they kicked off when it was 3-0, so they kicked off. And then Elphick gave a pass that had about as much power behind it as a kitten kicking a ball. <laughs> it was horrific. Absolutely horrific. Well, that... Two goals. I think we conceded goals in less than 35 seconds. The celebrations for Ipswich took longer than our defence to cave in. It was absolutely... Oh, it's just... It, there was no worse moment than that. Was there, Neil? Really? Uh, I, 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 it's just it's hard to really 
you know, put anything else in it, in that kind of box as that game. Everything just was awful. As Jacob said, the atmosphere for the the limp uh, reception of the players after the game, the how we just capitulated massively in such a short space of time. It had all the hallmarks of the entire season, and you could say this season, in one package. It was just a total perfect storm of shit, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it was, you yes. can't you can pick up, you know, tiny minute moments in other parts of the season where defending has been comical, but as a whole, some of its parts, yeah, dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. That totally summed up twenty eighteen. Yeah, no, it was. It was. And we have had I know if you're listening, this your problem, yes, we've had Lots of performances have been really bad this season. We recently had the defeat to Sheffield United, which I thought was pretty depressing as well. Because the contest, because Sheffield United went down to League One and now they've overtaken us completely. And you're thinking, we're going to be in that position soon. And oh, I don't know. But let's move on to a slightly more upbeat mode with the best player of 2018. And I think there's a couple of contenders I would personally put forward uh, Andy Yidam and Mr. Rinomoto. Those two. I know Yidam's got his faults. Defensively, he is not a masterclass of defending. But in comparison to the other players we've got, what are you gonna who are you gonna put forward, Jacob? I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, if you look at last season and pick over the carcass of it, there are a couple of performers last season that were instrumental in our eventual survival um if you look um, i mean mind you we're having the same issue with the player of the season vote last season weren't we because there really was not many to choose from it was the Uh, least worst wasn't it absolutely um barrow was good for uh, spells last season but i certainly wouldn't put him forward in the player of the year calendar year poll on this podcast um if we're looking at this season or the latter end of this year, you're absolutely right in that Rinham Hot has come out of nowhere really to be the linchpin of our midfield. I think without him, our midfield would be absolutely paper thin, lightweight, dreadful, even worse than it has been. Um, so I think Rinham Hot deserves to be there. I don't think you can really put forward a defender other than Yeardham. Mm. Uh, Gunt has been a shadow of his former self for. A long time now. Um, we haven't had a consistent goalkeeper. Um, Yarkola's impressed recently for us, very recently, but still has not been the goalkeeper we're looking for in the long term. Um, and all of our other centre backs at the moment are, are injured. <laughs> um, so, oh, uh, Tommy Elphick, that injury was horrific. Oh, I know. I mean, oh. with Elphick, because I was tempted to mention. Tommy Elphick, can we talk about Tom, Tom McIntyre? Yeah, he's had two massive plates put into his head now, hasn't he? God, debut that that was. I'm not sure. I think um, it's difficult to look beyond those two for me. Uh, Bodverson, I think, has tried in two seasons for us now. I think Bodverson is the best of a bad bunch as far as our striking department is concerned. Um, I don't know. It really has been that bad that I can't I can't think of any other names other than those three. I suppose some people might put forward Mato. Yeah. Just on energy. And he did have a little bit of a spell, didn't he, before his injury, when he looked like he could score in all the games. 
Yep. Uh, since he's come back, he hasn't looked quite the same, but, you know, like, let's give him a bit of a break there. He can't be uh, slating a player who did actually score some important goals for us. But... Yeah, I think it's been a very good year for Mate actually, because obviously he spent a lot of it away from Reading in France. Um, but that clearly has done something for him as far as his confidence is concerned. Um, his ability as a as a player, really, um, he's come back as a different player, uh, more of an asset for us. Um, and he is the first choice striker at the moment, it seems, under under our new manager. Um, he's turned into a bit of a target man, which is not how he started the year. No, not at all. No, he, I think he's matured. I think that loan made him mature. Yeah. I think he seems more of a team player and he seems to understand responsibility that that brings now. Um, it would be great if he had a right foot because he seems to do virtually nothing with his right foot. But his head is great. Now, maybe that's his actual um, uh, right foot. As Noel Hunt used to say, that his head was his best foot. Oh. So, so oh, I don't think there's anyone we could put forward else as a best player, Neil, would you think? Not really, is there? No, yeah. not really. I mean, um, for me, <laughs> it, it is a strange scenario to think that your best player over the calendar year is someone who's probably played less than 10 games in Andy Renamata. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If you think about it now and you say, we haven't got Andy for a month, you'd think, oh, well, that's our midfield completely ruined. Yeah. And not we ever had one, but you take him out of the equation now and we're utterly, utterly screwed. We've got nothing to replace the likes of him. And for a kid that's, you know, literally just come in within the last few months, um, that's testament to, to his progression, I think. Um Mate, I think it has done very well since he's come back in the summer. Uh, but yeah, there's there's no one else that's really kind of said has improved a great deal over last season. They've all been a shadow of what I think they're capable of. Uh, other players like Liam Moore, who he, he did win player of the season last season, didn't yes. he? Oh, yes. um, he's not been at the races for eons. And now he's injured again after being out for a month. Um, and, and no one really relies on him anymore with the way they used to. Everyone thought you'd take more out of things and, and it would be even worse than, than it was. Uh, but now he seems to have sunk to, yeah. to new lows as well. Um, yeah, defensively, you can't put anybody in the frame, nor a goalkeeper. Um, the midfield's ever-changing, so no one's played enough games, really, to say they deserve anything. Um, so yeah, Mate and Menomata um, for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, now is the one when I feel a little bit mean about this, but uh, Mr. Aluko <laughs> comes to mind immediately when we have the worst player of 2018. Oh, I can't mean, I know he played okay yesterday, but it, I can't think of anyone else but Sony Aluko. I am. Um... I'm going to put forward a name that's a bit controversial, actually, by my usual standards. I think in terms of what he's represented uh, as the state of the club in 2018 and more about what he hasn't done rather than what he has done that's so terrible, I'm going to put forward Paul McShane. Because um, I think, as, as I speak, he's still club captain. And... In terms of what he's he's done on the pitch and off the pitch, um, I th- I think um, he's had a really rotten year, has Paul McShane, because your job as a captain, surely, especially at times like this, has got to be 
to galvanise people, to give people a bit of a lift and to stand up and be a leader. And he just has not done any of that, certainly for the latter half of the year. Uh, on the pitch, he gave away those two penalties at Blackburn, which just about set the trajectory of the early season for us. Um, and off the pitch, he's been completely anonymous, whether it's either being injured or out of favour or whatever. But rather than being this talismanic leader, he's appeared petulant at times, overly emotional at times, and has been more of a detrimental presence for us as as captain than anyone else. It's, it's to the point where it's fallen to other people, either Liam Moore uh, has done more for sort of fan player relations this year yeah, in terms is. of being a visible leader in public. Um, of course, Liam um, famously booked out that minibus of um, fans to take to Sheffield Wednesday, which was another terrible away game, may I add. Um, who got sent off then? It was someone who's been sent off recently. I think it was Blackett, wasn't it? I think Did... it might have been Blackett, yes. He's and talk about Liam Moore. He also paid for the uh, box for Simon Rotterter. Yes, well, yes. As well. So, so yeah. In terms of a visible leader in, in public, I think Liam Moore has done more than treble the amount that McShane has done. I mean, obviously, there still does a lot of good work in the community, you know, a lot of good charity work and whatever, as club captain. But um, I think it's been a rotten year for our supposed captain. And I'll be interested to see what happens to the captaincy now that we've got new management in place. Um, but you, this, even the majority of our attack, I think they, you've probably got a list as long as my arm of candidates for worst player of the year. I think they've all regressed to like the lowest possible mean. Um, and it's now like turning around the Titanic, trying to get a performance out of them. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. I think what, what we going back slightly again to uh, Gomez. I don't think he's going. I think he's trying to change the excuse culture that has been there in 2018. It's been all oh, something's always else is to blame. All oh, this is acceptable if we just get to draw one draw in four matches. And this is what I like when he said after the match. Yes. We got a draw. That's great, but it's two points dropped. Uh, that's exactly what you want—a change of mentality. But worst player, who do, who do you think? Who do you think? Now, I think Paul McShane is a really interesting one myself, because in the context of how you put it, and his performances—not just the Blackburn match in the game, I think against Wigan, he got completely caught out. I mean, his form is gone. I mean, he's not really a Championship player now. I feel at all. I think he's, if he wasn't injured, I think he'd be in League One. What do you think now? Worst player of the season? Well, 2018. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's obvious really, in, in Aluko. Um, not, not not just in terms of the price tag that's been put in his head, whichever one you believe, um, but for sheer performance as well. It, it, you could almost put every single one of his performances and say you couldn't really tell any difference between you know, one week to another. They always seem to be identical performances. Um, you'd have two moments of flash of brilliance and then less than mediocrity for the rest. And it never seemed to change. Whether that was bad management or himself, I, I don't know. But just return on investment, if you like. Um, it was bad and, and never improved. Um, and then yesterday, totally different players, so it seems. Um so, yeah, it does seem to be a little bit unfair to beat him with a stick. But, yeah, it, again, still only one game. 
Um, and there's no fine margins there, I can tell you. Oh, no, so, don't. Um, don't. Don't. <laughs> don't care, though. We do not want to finish that. Then we can have an honourable mention for Myler as well, yeah. who, who mm. seems to keep a, an enormous social media presence through FIFA, um, but can't back any of that uh, talent, if you like, if he has any, um, on the pitch. And I, and I think that rubs fans up the, the wrong way if you're not a FIFA person. Um, so I, I think those two for me would be uh, my categorised as worst. Yeah, I think we've had a few players who've caused issues at the club in 2008. A few interesting things coming out, little snippets about Mr Popper and how he's been a bit of an issue. Oh, well, none of us know how that, you know, exactly what that involves, but it appears not just one manager had an issue with him, it was multiple. So if you've got players like that behind the scenes who obviously aren't playing and unsettled, there's there's major issues there which we don't know about as a fan. We know about 5% at most yeah, of what yeah. is actually happening. Yeah. So if we move into the transfer window, which is just coming up when Joy brings and... Uh, we won't be seeing Bushwatch this uh, January, so uh, <laughs> that won't be happening, will it, Jacob? No, I can confirm to the masses. Um, I'm on. I'm on a bush sabbatical, as it were. Uh, I'm stepping away from the bush for a little while. Um, who knows? I might have a triumphant return at some point. Now that the landscape's changed in terms of the hierarchy at the club, but um, when I feel it is the right time to re-emerge from the undergrowth, I shall. But um, I'm quite looking forward to this window just to take a little step back and um, not so much what's happening on the, on the ground, but what's happening in terms of the bigger picture for the club. I'm quite looking forward to seeing what we do because the recruitment has been such a um, an important issue for us in recent seasons. And one it's, it's something that we've got wrong now for so long. Lots of either sideways transfers and sideways moves that haven't improved us or the fact that we've now got a bloated squad um, creating a lot of discontent and who, you know, we, we can go on and on and on about money spent on assets that we haven't had a return from, e.g. Luko, uh, gaping holes in the squad that we've yet to fill, such as a goal-scoring striker, um, an imbalance across across the squad. I mean, we didn't have... Um, we've, we've had a hole to fill at left-back ever since Obita's been out that we've tried to plug either with Richards or Blackett. Um, so, I don't know. I, I'm really, I really think that this is such an important window for us, even though it's January and it's harder to do stuff in January. Um, now that things have started to turn in terms of positive, positivity on the pitch in recent days, uh, I'd love to see us try and get it right this window. I think it's going to be more about who we get rid of and send on their way rather than who we get in. But hopefully Gomez can just make his stamp on things as far as the recruitment is concerned. Yeah, hopefully. Um, it's going to be who's heading up this transfer hunt as well, isn't it? Is it going to be this hidden person as in uh, Keir Jaracham? Is he going to be there bringing in deals of players that we haven't heard of? Are we going to bring someone else in? I saw recently that Graham Murty was sat there in the director's box. Uh, it's not impossible to imagine that he could come back to the club at some point. I Personally, I wouldn't be against him coming back at all in that sporting director role, something like that, another link. He's dealt with a lot of young players' academies. He's used to the scouting system. So we'll see. We'll see how that ends. This is hypothetical chat. But if we had three players, not three players, three positions... 
that we could strengthen in and ideally what would those three positions be for me I would go you'd need another striker because as much as Bodvarsson is okay I think he's a third choice I think we need that first choice striker and if Gomez is going to play just one up front I think one is just enough um and then I would want definitely a left back because a left back I don't think we're very strong at all and then if you're going to be a luxury you're gonna to have to go for another center back because they all seem to get injured repeatedly and uh, what do you think Jacob on that I think the frustration is we signed strikers in the summer who didn't improve us and I mean now we've got an, a luxury of options up front who aren't really options at all in that Bar Bodvarsson, who I'd suggest has done the most with limited service and resources this season. Um, Bulldog, McNulty, um, Mate, when he's, you know, been deployed there as a pseudo striker, you know, none of them are really the sort of player who's going to get 20 goals in a year. And now that load has emerged too, although he's been played out on the wing, you've got five options up front. And we, you'd think we'd have to shift some of them out. You've also got Sam Smith coming back from his loan at Oxford early. And I can't see him breaking into this squad. So, yes, we need a striker. Yes, we do need to start scoring goals. Um, the game against QPR proved that. But I don't think any of the men we've got are the men to do it. So there's got to be some outward activity. We've got to be moving people out. I would like to see McNulty go on loan. I don't think it should have ever been brought in, sadly. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you, if anyone else can take anyone else off our hands, then by all means, I think we should be trying to hawk our players to as many potential buyers as possible. But who wants them? Who wants no, them? No one, that is the issue, isn't it? Yeah. Tainted with hallmarks of failure now for going on three or four seasons, barring the playoff season. So, you know, it's tough times. Yeah, I mean, talking about the strikers, we've obviously got uh, Novakovic, who's at Telstar in uh, Holland. And uh, is this kind of possibility that maybe he could come back? But why would he really want to come back? That's the issue. You've got to have three parties that agree to it. You've got to have Telstar. Why would they want him to let him go? Then Reading would want him back. And then the player's got to want to move. And I know ultimately we own the player and it's almost trading in like meat, isn't it? Almost football in some ways. (laughs) But it's kind of... Well, that's the way that players are treated in some ways. I also know that they get paid a lot of money. Good luck to them, I say. But I, I don't think he's going to come back. And if he does come back, he's going to have to play a lot. Because otherwise, it's another six months of his career he's wasted yeah. when he was perfectly happy where he was. I mean, interview that I saw recently, maybe a month ago or so with Jonathan Lay, he kind of seemed to be implying that he wants to leave, slightly to me, because he wants to become an actual full-time player. He doesn't want to be this player who's loaned out. He wants to have a base. And why wouldn't you? I understand that. But he, he looks like he's talent. And if he came back, I think he would get games. But it's that unknown thing of knowing who we're going to bring in and what the budget is. And But there can only be a certain level of ability we've got to attract players because we're not in a good position. We're 23rd in the championship. We're two points adrift. It's, it's, uh, it's not a selling point, is it really? You know, there's much better players, places you could go to. I mean, what positions would you choose, Neil, if you could pick three players as in positions? Um, slightly different. Um, 
Similar defence, midfield, centre midfield, and striker. For me, yeah. uh, the the problem with strikers, as, as Jacob mentioned, was that we've got so many options, but we're never going to play two up front. Nice. So you need even less. Um, so the one, if we do get one in, then that pushes everyone else down the pecking order a wee bit, and some of which are never going to play as a single striker anyway, um, as we assume that the system that Gomez is going to deploy is going to be the 4-2-3-1. Yeah. So a lot of those players aren't going to feature at all in, in a one. Bulldog's not going to. McNulty's not going to. Loder's not going to. Um, it looks like Bodvarsson might even be a, a funny fit there because I'd imagine he want a very mobile striker, one with pace. Mm. Um, so Nicky Forster. Yeah, I mean, if you can't going to play one, he's got to be multifaceted. He's got to be strong. He's got to be quick, and he's got to have you know, pretty decent aerial presence. Uh, I know it's it's ticking so many boxes for for a uh, a market that's saturated and very expensive. But that's what you need. Um, whether you can get that in January, really don't know. You're more likely to be able to fill a lone position for a central defence and central midfield. Um, Left back, I would like to fix once and for all. It doesn't look like a beat is going to be coming back anytime soon. No, um, Rich, Richards has looked better, admittedly, since he has uh, returned from injury. Um, but whether you could rely on, on that when you really, really need to survive, I'm not sure. Um, it, it's, it's going to be a, a tricky window. Uh, I don't know what kind of players Gomesh thinks we need. Um, but at, but at the same time, how many players can we actually ship out? Who's going to be interested in this bunch that we've got that are on pretty good wages? And where are they going to go? Um, either we're going to have to subsidise some of that wage uh, outgoing. Um, but I don't see how we're going to shift six, seven, eight players in this window to supplement two or three coming in. I don't see how that's going to work so far. The other issue we've got, and some may say it's a nice problem to have, but Gomesh has said that he'd like to trim the squad and within that include the youth as well, or include certain members of the under-23s. So that means potentially having to ship out even more players than we otherwise would have had to, to accommodate the likes of Loder, Wynnum Hotter, um, Richards, even Osho and McIntyre, who really haven't put a foot wrong for us, having been called upon recently. So... In order to achieve that mixture of experience and youth, we really do need to trim the squads even more. And especially if you're talking about bringing in quality over quantity, as we need to, it's whether the quality is going to be available anyway, like Neil says. Um, it is going to be a really tough window. If we get it right, then we will have done the right thing. But it's just actually doing the business we need to in 30 days. I think the other problem we've had, and we always seem to have this issue, is that other clubs seem to have stolen a bit of a march on us yep. in terms of loan signings they've already agreed and have announced before the window's open. Um, and usually you can get an indication of what we're doing based on the rumour mill. And the rumour mill, the rumour mill's been very, very quiet so far this year. Um, another reason why it's probably a good time to duck out of Bushwatch, as usually I live and die by the the rumours that are um, floating around, but there really hasn't been many. Um, so I, I will wait. I'll wait 
with bated breath to see what we do do, if anything. But um, really, really important that we get it right and just make our lives easier going into the final five months of the season. Yeah, I feel like I said um, uh, last week, if we get two, three players that are better uh, for some quality and leadership skills, that could make the difference because we don't need to put together eight wins on the trot where we are. The teams at the bottom are abysmal. They're of a similar standard to us and we know how poor we are. But let's just hope we do get something right. Um, none of us know what's going to happen. Mr. Karachan sat there and um, uh, Mr. Dye working out this magic formula. But who knows who that's going to be. Let's hope it's someone half decent because we've got some proper donkeys at the club right now, haven't we? And uh, I'll be glad to see the back of, of 10 of them at least. And that's not going to happen for a long period. But at some point they're going to leave and uh, they will not be getting a... Uh, golden watch to leave so moving on to Swansea that is a game that I feel that we have to win there's no no draws are not good enough we need to get a little tiny bit of momentum started straight away and they're not a team that's unbeatable they've only got two wins from their last six matches they're not in the best form they only managed to get a two or draw with Wigan on Saturday. They went 2-0 down, so they can concede goals. What worries me is we've scored one goal in five matches. And that is a big issue. Um, How do you think it's going to go, Jacob? Um, I saw Swansea earlier on in the season. I was at the reverse fixture um, in Wales, and uh, because that's where I I live nowadays, apparently. Uh, So I, I was quite impressed with them at the time, Swansea. I thought they were nailed on for a playoff place. They weren't a million miles away uh, back in November, I think it was. Um, and uh, they beat us 2-0 quite comfortably. They were running rings around us for a lot of the game. Um, McBurney, who hadn't had a decent scoring record up until that game, played very well, I thought, as a gangly target man. Uh, they've got a very impressive youth winger called Dan James. Um, and they are quite a quick, versatile outfit. Um, they've got some of the old guard from the Premier League days the days as well still knocking around, like uh, Mike van der Horn, who is a Dutch centre-back who's out of contract in the summer that I would have liked to have seen as move for. Perhaps a bit biased there. But, um, and, you uh, don't say. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, another Dutchman, actually, uh, Leroy Fair. Who oh, he's quality, yeah. He's on probably Megabucks wages, but uh, is class in midfield, like a bit like a championship Yaya Toure. Um, so they are dangerous, but somehow they've slipped down the pecking order of the league down into like comfortably mid-table. Um, so they're, they're not unbeatable, but like we were saying earlier, it doesn't matter how we win, we need to grind out that result. If we do win um, on New Year's Day, we will claw ourselves out of the bottom three, potentially, with two points adrift. So it is in our hands to get a result. And hopefully with the lift we've had in the previous few days, we can get it. Though I'm not I'm not hopeful. We haven't won in, what is it, eight games now? Nine, I think, now. Nine. Nine. Nine or eight. I'm not quite sure which one. Yeah, but it's a, it's a horrific stat, that, isn't it? I mean, Swansea are 12th in the away table and we're 23rd in the home table. Yeah. Um, you kind of look at that and you think there's probably going to be only one team that's going to win this. But it's got a kind of feel of Bristol City. To me, this match is the kind of game we can win, uh, whether we will or not. Uh, nobody really is quite sure because you're never quite sure which team's going to turn up. 
if we start slowly and in that horrible fashion that we do in so many games, we're going to struggle. But I think Swansea are there for the taking. I'm sure they think exactly the same about us. I'm under no illusions there. But I think there's a feel-good factor which hasn't been there for a while. People are going there kind of thinking we might do something today. So Swansea are unbeaten in 13 matches against us in all competitions. These are all things that are making us all feel good about this. But how do you think it's going to go now? Um, I think I, I kind of go back to an interview I listened to this morning of John Swift, where he was saying that uh, the message seemed to be given is freedom. And I think they need to play as if there's no shackles upon them for this home fixture, because they do need to start winning the fans around again. And I hope the message would be, you need these guys for the rest of the season at home and away. What better time than to, you know, improve your home form, improve on that performance against QPR. You did very well. You're turning people around in terms of what to expect with their performance and commitment. So you really need to, to, to ramp that freedom up and really go for the jugular on it. As you say, Swansea are beatable. There's nothing really to be afraid of too much there. Um, but it, they've just got to take this home fixture by, by the you know, the horns and, and go for it because we need the three points and we need to get the fans back on side. Um, so, so, yeah, they've, they've got to treat this as if it is the first home game for the rest of the season and go for it. What a statement. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What a statement it would be. I know we're saying at the moment every game is important, and it is, because every time I am on this podcast and it comes to talking about the next fixture, we keep on saying, oh, it's a must-win game, it's a must-win game. And at some point, we've got to win one. Um, I don't know. I think it, in terms of a statement for the fans, the players, everything, to get that win on New Year's Day would be so important, just in terms of like setting a marker for the rest of the season, for the rest of the year. Like it will actually feel like turning a bit of a corner. Um, and the shape of the table at the moment, I know, I know we're cut adrift at the bottom. I know we're 23rd out of 24 teams, but all it would take is a couple of good results, just mm. two or three. And all of a sudden we're looking up and we're not looking down. And it turns into a salvage mission rather than a survival mission. So I don't know. I, I would love to see his win on New Year's Day. I'm going to go to the Medeski more optimistic than I have been in recent times. I would do not expect to win, but I'm more, ex I'm sort of more optimistic of seeing a win than I have been previously. Yeah, that's exactly how I would sum up my feelings about it as well, Jacob. Yeah, this expectation is still not there, but you feel okay. We might. I'm kind of thinking. I feel there might be a possibility of something good today. You're talking about just a couple of wins. Mill have got consecutive wins and all of a sudden they've got a tiny bit of breathing space away from that bottom three. And it's, it doesn't take that much and we can achieve it. We just need to believe in the master plan. We need to have a dream. <laughs> Slowly morphing into some kind of uh, 1960s uh, dream maker here. So I think it is time to call it a day here. Uh, thanks a lot for everyone that's uh, listened in 2018. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, if you do like it, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. I think everyone on the show would agree that that is the best way forward. And uh, it does make a difference to us. And uh, I love every one of you individually who does that. So <laughs> thanks a lot, Ben. And uh, cheers. Bye.